What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Leith with my co-host and good friend, Richard Harris. And we are brought to you today and every day in the month of December by our good friends at gong.io, vidyard.com, and lead411.com. Check them out. Great companies, great people, great products, and they can help you finish out the year strong and get into 2021 off to a great start. We are joined today by our friend and former Surf and Sales Summit alum, Miranda Fisher, who is an account executive over at Aircall in New York City. Welcome to the show, Miranda. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's so good to see you again. It's been uh, a couple of years, hasn't it? Year and a half? <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like it's been like five years, but it, I feel like it's only been a year and a half. It was what, September 2019? Yeah. yeah. Man, that was so fun to have, have, uh, there was like four people from, from air call who came, which was yeah. really cool to, uh, to see two SDRs and, and two AEs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. was really interesting. We had like a, a competition for which SDRs were going to go. Um, I was the only girl account executive at the time. So I was the girl that was chosen to go. And then Paul um, and then Natasha and Phil were the, the two chosen from the SDR team. So it was really what cool. What was the competition just out of curiosity? Like, was it hitting revenue numbers hitting, you know, for, and I know it's different for AEs than your SDRs. So the way that they had it, I believe they were still going off of points. So every qualified demo was a point. And the SDR that ended that specific month with the highest, and it was girls versus guys. So they chose Natasha, who had the highest points, and then Phil, who had the highest points that month. So those that's how they chose who was going to go. Awesome. So, so tell people, uh, you know, for context, like what your sales cycle is like what's the motion like how are you you know closing deals what's the price point and the sales cycle and all this kind of stuff so air call is pretty unique in the way that we have things set out so i could work deals of people that are one user and then the largest deal that i have in my account right now is just about 100 um so i can work anything from a, a smb company to a mid-market company which really does change the sales cycle. Obviously with the smaller SMB styles, it's more transactional. I can do a one call close or I could have someone set up on a trial the next day and then close them the next week. So for the SMB, it's roughly less than a month to get them up and running on the system. But for the mid-market size deals, those could go anywhere from you know three months to, to six months, just depending on the procurement process. Um, the way that we bill is based off of licensing. So each user is an individual login and then it's billed um, on a per, um, per user basis and then annually as well. Now, how long did it take you to get trained up on, on the product and, and the, the sale and, and what was that ramp like? I mean, I honestly still feel like I'm still training today. I feel like there's always something new to learn, especially when you have a product that has an open API, the possibilities are essentially endless in terms of the workflows that you want to set up, really depending on the company, if they're willing to build that out or if they have developers who want to go with like a third-party system to build it out for them. Um, But... (laughs) Sorry, I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> that, that, 
Can you remind okay. me of the question? I yeah. just got no, so wanted, in depth in I'm APIs. Just to, <laughs> I'm just trying to understand what it's like to to ramp, right? And, yeah. and you show up, you show up, and you're selling like a relatively complex product. Um, you know, how fast are you supposed to to learn everything? How long? is it expected to take versus does it really take? I mean, you just said you've been there for two and a half years and you said you're just now kind of maybe feeling like you're fully ramped. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure there for people who are just getting up, up to speed. So I'm just trying to learn more about that process. Yeah. Um, so the, we actually just onboarded two new AEs and their ramp up process goes over three months, but essentially in those first three months, they're working only those SMB style deals. And then once they pass those three months, then they're working upwards of, you know, the hundreds to 50 um, user deals that I have access to right now. So for that type of ramp up, you are essentially learning the basics. So for those smaller deals, you know, they probably have an IVR, an interactive voice response, which essentially is just a phone menu where they're asking, you know, press one for this, press two for that. That's a pretty easy setup. Um, so learning the basis is really where you're going to get a lot of that groundwork. And then as you unlock those bigger deals, you're going to learn more about the API side of things. You're going to learn a lot more about custom integrations and how to integrate and do workflows within HubSpot and Salesforce, for example. Were you, what was the process like of, of learning all this stuff? Was it a lot of like, like reading and, and role play? Was there testing involved? Like, how do you kind of graduate for somebody to say, okay, Miranda, you're ready to get on the phone now? So there was a lot of role playing. Um, when I started, they were just like essentially nailing down the process. So it was really fun to work with my manager and say, okay, like this is what actually helped me learn. We found a way that, you know, giving me a scenario of what type of integration they're using, um, how many users, um, what type of call flows they want set up and then giving it to me and then me demoing it that way was a really great way for individuals to learn those types of scenarios. Um, I think the hardest thing to learn is definitely more the technical side of things and the language that's used. Yeah. Um, I think that's what was kind of the largest learning curve, um, just because everyone talks about phones a little bit differently, um, whether you're talking to a support director or if you're talking to an IT director, they're going to have two different ideas of what they want to see in the long run. Very, so like very role specific kind of language. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So what, what, what did you do to master that? Was it like flashcards? <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, what do you do? I'm curious. Um, it was just like a lot of Googling after the call. I want to say I would like write down the terms of what they said. Um, and I would just kind of ask more questions after they said like a specific term, like, Oh, do you, do you mean X, Y, and Z? Or do you see X, Y, and Z benefiting this? So kind of learning a backend process in my way um, of like actually having them explain like ACD, which essentially is just like a, a call routing. So like I had to ask just more questions to uncover what I wanted without sounding like I didn't know exactly what they were saying. Kind of like Scott's doing right now. Like he's asking you all these <laughs> questions but he doesn't know, he, you know, as soon as you said complex, he was like, what? Uh-oh. So, um, I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about demos because I actually wrote about this today. Um, 
do you do a demo at air call? Mm -hmm. Our so, demos are about 30 minutes. 30. How do you, this is the challenge I see everywhere. And I'm curious if you figured it out or if it was taught to you sort of through the ramping of how do you, if you've got a 30 minute demo, how do you make sure you don't run out of time at the end, right? Because there's nothing worse than doing a demo and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'll email you next week, right? Um, yeah. How do you guys do that or how do you do it? What's Miranda's style? And was it taught to you or figured out? Um, I think in the long run, it was more figured out because I figured out that, you know, a one user or three user account, I could easily demo that in 15 minutes or less. But when it came to the larger accounts, I actually wanted to do more of a discovery on the first call and do a really deep, deep dive into how they're utilizing the phones. Does anyone else need to be involved in the conversation? And then the next call was actually a full on demo where it was the full 30 minutes, um, just so that there was room for questions. Um, that took a little bit for me to learn and understand because I, I was really bad with the time management at the beginning. I constantly found myself running out of time with the bigger deals because they wanted to talk more and ask more questions at the beginning or the end. So for me, if I ever have a deal that's over 25 people, I usually just do the first call as a, as an in-depth discovery. So this, this is part of the thing I wrote about too was, and again, some of it's nuanced based on your organization and sort of the expectations. In that first call, are they expecting the demo or do they understand if you guys laid out a strong process that says, hey, before we do a demo, we need to discuss this so we don't waste your time? So before we have a demo, um, we have two inbound SDRs that are reaching out to them to get general information beforehand. Um, I feel like with the smaller deals, they're, you know, they're ready to just get into it. They don't feel like the questions are really relevant. They've filled it out before. Um, but for me, I always just like to understand a little bit more. Usually those there's more questions from what they actually sent in and what they're looking to gain. Um, I think they're a lot more understanding when it comes to the bigger companies, the, you know, understanding their process and their goals with the new technology is of the utmost importance for me to demo. So I think the bigger accounts are a lot more understanding of that. They're, they're comfortable sort of with that quick discovery call for the demo. It's not the discovery call for them, or for you. It's more like, hey, we got to show you the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just really understanding, especially with an, a tool like AirCall, where it can be really catered to different teams within an organization. I'm obviously going to demo a sales team differently than I demo a customer support team. So really understanding where that lies is really what's going to lead me into what to show them. Can you teach you this or do you have to figure it all out with coming back to the ring? <laughs> um, I, I feel like it was, some of it was taught to me and then some of it, I kind of had to figure out on my own. Um, our sales team, you know, we're really just now establishing a really good process when it comes to onboarding account executives. Um, the two that we have coming in right now, they're already on the calls. Um, they're already doing demos by themselves and two of them, uh, one of them actually just hit quota today. So it's pretty um, quick in terms of trying to figure it out on yourself because you're doing so many calls every single day of demoing. I had three demos today, actually, just before this, and it's 11 a.m. here in Colorado. So you really just adapt pretty quickly. Right. What, um, 
I want to want to shift a little bit. Um, how did you choose sales, or did sales choose you? <laughs> um, I feel like it was a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, my first job in college, I was one of those annoying student callers. Um, so I sat in a really dark room after meaning, classes. Meaning you were you were hitting up alumni for money. Is that what you mean? Yep, exactly. So I was calling probably like a hundred people in like a two hour shift, just asking and even asking young grads to donate money. So people that are fresh out of college, that was really difficult because I was just thinking about me in a couple of years. So that was just really tough. Um, that probably only lasted six months. Um, but when I came to graduating college, I was just looking up like recruiting roles and then I was having interviews there and it just didn't feel right. Uh, and then I worked on, I walked into my first sales floor and I was just mind blown. <laughs> like the amount of energy, the, um, the amount of like music and, you know, people that just like, just, felt like they just knew what was going on was invigorating and the person I was interviewing with was just like really comforting and really just kind of made me feel like I could 100% do that role. Uh, when I started onboarding at that company was Home Advisor, my sales trainer just blew my mind. I've, ne I've never thought I would in a million years enjoy cold calling <laughs> but I actually I really did I fall in love with it it was it was really invigorating my feet were sweating I remember my like my first sale that I made my hands were sweating like everything but it just felt so good afterwards talk about falling in love with cold calling I don't think we've had anybody <laughs> tell us that what do you I mean which is great what do you what do you love about it like or or what did you love about that um I think I I did love it I don't particularly like it as much anymore just because the way home advisor worked was a, a little bit too transactional for me um, I just felt like I needed something more consultative but when I was selling there it was it was really interesting to go from you know just meeting this person over the phone a random person over the phone to 20 minutes later having like their credit card information <laughs> Um, and I think that was just like, that's a crazy like turnaround time for someone. And we even had to get their social security numbers. So imagine getting someone's social, giving your social to someone in 20 minutes and your credit card information, like the ability to convince someone to do that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. Those are the, the old transactional <laughs> sales days, Richard. I don't know yeah. if you could get, I don't know if you could get people to give you social security number in 20 minutes anymore. I mean, maybe people are a little more skeptical now. Maybe not. Let me, I have a question for you, Miranda. Why are the alumni sales scripts so bad? And do you remember your pitch at Colorado State? Oh, gosh. Oh, they were just so uncomfortable. And you had, you had to ask like three times <laughs> before yeah. like letting them go. <laughs> Can you imagine if you went back and did that now, like how you'd re rewrite the the sales pitch? What would you what would you do differently? Um, what I would do differently now is being an alumni. I think understanding a little bit more of what or having a CRM where it actually shows what they did in college, what they studied, who their professors were, so that you have that background. You'd be like, oh, you know, yeah. ex-professor just had this grant set up. So, you know, we're looking to help their department a little bit more. 
um, in terms of funding. So like, would you be interested in doing that? I'd be like, oh yeah, I totally remember that professor would love to help them out. Isn't it wild, Richard, that, that these schools don't, don't have this kind of enriched data at all? Not only is that, but that their leadership doesn't know this. Yeah. Right. Like it, the, the closest thing I've seen, and we've talked to one person is, is, you know, professional sports ticket sales, right? They don't, and the one person we spoke to figured it out is you're, you're focusing on the emotional side of it. You're focusing on that emotional connection of all those great times they had at Colorado state. Look, I, I lived in Denver. I know how, you know, <laughs> I, I know Miranda did not let classes get in the way of her education. I can assure you of that. So, um, <laughs> So, which I, you could say about University of Arizona or Arizona State. But um, so I, th I think that's the piece that's missing in a lot of these places and, and kind of across the board, right, is even, even a startup, a tech startup. We've talked to tech founders where they think everybody's going to be in love with their technology when, in fact, they're not. They're, they're in love with what their technology helps them avoid, right, or solve. Right? So, so it's, it's oh, interesting. Um, Miranda, Miranda, you had, uh, I mean, you alluded to when you're talking about your kind of work history. I mean, your first couple stints were relatively short, but now you've been at Aircall for over two and a half years. So talk to me a little bit about what changed in you to, to allow, how do I phrase this? What changed in you, what changed in you to help you go from, you know, kind of bouncing a little bit, right? to being secure and successful and, and in this particular role. And then what's different in the companies, right? So two, yeah. two part there, what changed in you and what's different in the company? Um, I, I honestly took a really big leap of faith when I joined Aircall. Um, I quit my job in Denver. I picked up my entire life and drove across country with my mom in like a span of a month um, when I found Aircall. And I think that, I think what changed in me is that I wanted to do more of a type of selling where I was actually learning about ways to improve uh, a company. And I think that where I'm at now, I really act, I really am doing that. I work with um, So just like more, like more passion about the, the product and, the, and the, the impact that the product has on businesses? I think. Well, you know, when you, you call, probably call what, a customer service line once a month, maybe? So hopefully when, less. <laughs> maybe, yeah, hopefully. But I think that when I started at Aircall, I was actually really thinking, relaying that back to my day-to-day -day life. And I was thinking about, oh, like now that I'm calling Sprint, for example, I called them the other day. I was like thinking about their company and like how they utilize the phones. And so it really did change my mindset into a broader way of looking at sales and how it actually impacts everyone's day-to-day -day life. So yeah. I think that's really what changed within me is just kind of seeing the bigger picture of things. Um, but within the company... Uh, I really liked how how gritty Erica was. And when I started, you know, the product, to be honest, was not the most stable. We couldn't even make cold calls as like an SDR because calls would just drop. But the level of passion that I saw across the board in that 
tiny little office just kept me going there every single day. Talk about that a little bit more. Talk about gritty. And because I think it's fun. I think everybody, particularly those who, who've gone through tech or startups, there's always something fun about the chaos for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's there's something there. What are some of the other things that made y'all gritty that made it energetic? Right. Um, anything off the top of your head? Um. I think that it was just us being allowed to create our own cadences and us to actually solve problems. As an SDR, you usually don't have that liberty. You don't actually get to write a cadence yourself. You don't actually get to figure out how to call someone on their, you know, desk phone and ask them, you know, are you happy with the thing you just picked up? <laughs> you know, there's, it's just really, it was really fun to brainstorm with the team and figure out what we could do to make the company successful and that was like with a group of so many you know young kids I was what 23 at the time um and there was people that were just straight out of college so just really innovative people that were ready to you know hit the hit the ground running it was really cool taking all that stuff right like there's there's so many stories between or for me there's so many comparisons between what sales can teach you about selling but also about humanity and life so what are some of those lessons that, that you think you learned about self-awareness from sales? And then how have you and have you ever translated them into sort of outside of work? Um, I think that there's, I mean, I, I, I'm honestly not big of like a negotiator. So like when I was buying furniture on Facebook Marketplace, I just kind of bought it at list value. So that was kind of a bad sales like woman part on me. (laughs) Um, But I think what I learned a lot from sales is um, patience, a lot, a lot of patience Um, and a different type of like customer service or consultativeness. Um, And I learned to listen to people a little bit better. So, you know, if uh, me and my friend were at lunch and she was telling me about, you know, this difficult time for her at work, I felt I found myself listening a little bit differently because, you know, all day I'm listening and there's key things that you pick up on. And when you're really there in the moment and listening and being attentive, you know, you hear you hear things that are are actually the root of the cause. So I think that's something that has really translated into my day to day life. If that makes sense. (laughs) It totally makes it totally makes sense to me. I mean, this is like a little bit deep maybe but um i i kind of think that nowadays the greatest gift that you can give somebody is the gift of your undivided attention Mm -hmm. it's really really complicated it's it's not as simple as it sounds whether you're in the middle of a demo or whether you're at home with your family for the holidays like something is always pulling us in some other direction whether it's notifications or you know, oh, some thought comes into your head, like, oh, shit, I forgot to send so-and-so the invoice, which I just realized I forgot to do right now, Richard, I'll fix that. Um, it's really hard to be that, that present, you know, maybe that's why people are now starting to spend so much time on mindfulness training and, and, you know, meditation. And I know Richard is big in that particular area. This has been a hell of a year for, for everybody to try and sell through and and focus through what's worked for you and what what did you try that didn't that didn't work 
in terms of like attentiveness um, or just in, this in terms of just your ability to stay focused, push forward, you know, hit, hit your goals, get promoted, all these kind of things that you've been able to do? Um, I think what has really helped me is breaking things up into smaller tangible items. Um, so when I was in SDR, I, I kind of wanted to lean more into like sales training. That's kind of where my heart was at the time. Um, but then I got an account that I really wanted to demo. They told me there was like no shot that they were interested, but would love to see the product. And I was like, you know what, heck, like I'd love to demo it reached out to um, my my AE at the time and said like, hey, can you teach me how to demo this integration really quick? Um, would love to learn that. And then that kind of sparked me back into being like, okay, like I do really miss selling. I do miss like the, the, the actual like selling piece of things rather than just doing like the front end process. And I don't want to do training anymore. I want to go into being an account executive. So breaking that down into that little first step was, was a huge step. And then breaking that into like, okay, I need to, you know, reach out to my, my VP next who was calling at the time. And then he gave me these small things that I just needed to check off. So little things that I just needed to do to be ready to become an account executive. And then once I became an AE, um, you know, the next step was AE2, which is uh, a promotion in itself. Um, so I have a like little tracker on my computer where every month I write down, okay, like this is how much I made in quota. And then there's like a little tracker at the bottom of like, this is how much you have to go until you get AE3. So having like things broken down really does for me help in terms of reaching broader goals. Talk about like uh, this is a great example. So you is this just a like a, a Google Doc, an Excel sheet or something? <laughs> yeah, it's an Excel sheet. <laughs> and and does it mean you um you're like here's my goal, here's how much I've done, here's you know what I have left. And because I've done the math, it now takes me to you know, okay, that means I got to make this many calls or this many people. Like, does it really break it down like that for you? Or, or what does it mean you break it down? So there's two different things that I actually utilize to do that. I use something in Salesforce that's called a pipeline to-do list. So I have like a next step date and then I have like a description so I can put call, email, you know, meeting or upgrade as an example of like what a next step is. And then that's my literal to-do for that entire day. So I know exactly every single day what I need to accomplish, like who I'm meeting with, what I who I need to call, who I need to just send a follow-up email to. And then from there at the end of each month, I have a Google doc. So the way that we get promoted in, um, as an AE at AirCall is by the amount that we've closed. So I think it's 168K of MRR for me to get to AE3. Right now I'm about like 10K away from it. So I have that broken down like by each month. <laughs> um, so I know exactly like when I'm probably gonna hit it. So hopefully in February. <laughs> Sales team are you like, screw that. I wanna get promoted before them. Uh, yeah, so like you guys know, Phil, he got promoted to AE2 in nine months and I'm on the cusp of doing like AE3 in nine months. So right now I'm really determined to do better. You got to tie, him. You gotta tie Phil. You got to at least tie him. We just him. had Phil yeah. on last week. It was a great episode too. Um, <laughs> so what, what's harder, 
SDR or AE? Um, I love this question. This is my favorite question lately. I think, oof, I don't know. I think it's, for me, I think it's being an SDR is a little bit harder because I feel like, um, I mean, you know, now elab SDR elaborate, <laughs> on, elaborate on that because we asked Phil the same question and Phil said being an AE was harder. So this oh, really? Oh, okay. I think it's hard to be an SDR because you're doing so much grunt work and I feel like the appreciation isn't the same as when you're an account executive. So I think that's what makes it a little bit tougher because um, you're kind of just passing things to get closed. Like for us, we have like this like, N like NYC sales and it just is like the MRR closed. But I think there's a little bit oversight on what the SDRs do. So I think that's the harder part is like you're, you're doing a lot of work, but you're not getting as much accreditation as an account executive. Not as much recognition. Yeah. Recognition from the beginning. Um, I mean, we have like a channel, it's like, you know, they get, they got a point, but I think that there, there comes, when a deal closes, it's a, it's a pretty big deal because, you know, a lot of our deals are inbound. So when you're an outbound SCR and you're reaching out to companies, you know, that process takes a little bit longer because you're reaching out to, they don't even know what AirCall is. They don't know, even know if they need a new phone system. So I think honestly, get them, give them some kickback uh, on deals that close, in my opinion. So you don't get any kickback once the deal closes. I agree Not, with you on that. Yeah, as an SCR, as of now, you don't get a kickback. Can we, we, can we blame Colin Cadmus on that for not figuring that out for all his geniusness that he is and thinks that he is? Can we blame Colin? Um, I don't know how much say he had in that. I think Brian might have been the, the bigger influence there. So let's let's just put equal blame on both of them. <laughs> say that just means Colin didn't fight for you guys hard enough. Like, let's just blame Colin. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should shift this to all the bad things about Colin Cadmus. Um, but we might have to get all the air call people. That would actually be a fun episode, Scott. Just just for like his birthday, yeah. like a private episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Let's roast the, tribute the tribute episode, the tribute roast. <laughs> so um, how did you transition? Like, you know, I, we know AirCall pretty well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we see a lot is that it's hard for SDRs to transition to AEs. Sometimes it's done really, you know, my impression is it's done really well at, at AirCall because look, you hit these things, you hit these these KPIs and it's yours if you, I assume if you want it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but then how do you also interview for that AE role? Do they run you through an interview too, or is it just given to you? And maybe this is a better question. What advice would you give to SDRs who want to get promoted to AE? Um, the advice that I would give is to get close with an account executive um, and really learn, like study the demos that you pass over to them because that's really what's gonna take you further. You already did the beginning part of it. So just investing your time to understanding that deal further is what's going to elevate your skills and it's gonna give you a deeper understanding of what is a good deal and what isn't a good deal. Um, now, 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 how would one demonstrate that? How would you demonstrate that though? Right, like I'm, a, I'm an SDR, I'm doing all the you know, front end of the cycle, but I'm studying like heck, I'm listening to all the your, mm -hmm you know, closing calls and whatnot. How do I demonstrate that I actually could run the demo and close the deal? Cause I don't get the, op I don't get the at bat. I don't get the chance. Um, let me do what I did. 
find a, someone that just wants to see the demo and is just interested in seeing the product. Maybe they're in a, a two-year contract and you know it's not likely that it's going to qualify for you. They just want to see it. Ask your team if you can do the demo. I think that also just shows so much in terms of like wanting to do more in the company. And it just shows a lot of like, hey, I, I want to learn how to do this. And if it goes well, show it to your manager. Um, you know, say like, hey, just ran this demo, would love your feedback on it. And then, you know, the next time something like that comes up again, do it again and just keep doing it until they realize like, oh, like, yeah, that's a, that's a great demo. I think that's what I would do. <laughs> I, I like that, that idea. I, I just wonder, I wonder how an SDR would get access to some of those leads. I mean, you, you all maybe had a setup where you had the opportunity to call upon people who were in a two-year contract already. So it wasn't a imminent, you know, kind of closing call or, you know, there was some criteria that could be set up um, where, you know, deals that are farther out, maybe SDRs got to practice demos on some type of criteria. Was there some, some kind of rules of engagement like that? Um, not really for us. Um, it It's more of along the lines of for eight or SDRs that want to get promoted, we look at, are they SDR one? Are they SDR two? Are they SDR three? So how long that they've been there and what they've accomplished thus far is what we pull from when it comes to hiring the next account executive. What, um, when you're, you've always been remote, right? No, um, I've, <laughs> I've been remote since March, but before that we were in the office. So what are some advice you give even to an SDR and AE about the remoteness of the role? Right. Some people, the company's been that way for a long time. Like what was maybe the hardest thing to get used to for you? And, and what advice would you give to people now that you've been doing it for 10 months? Um, I think that the advice that I would give is to separate, separate yourself and make your own little desk work environment that's dedicated to working. When you're working from home, you know, I've been guilty of it multiple times. I, you know, I would just want to sit in my bed and just, you know, send emails that way. It's not the most productive. Um, so what I found is putting my monitor on my table in my living room and then putting it away at night is what helped me. It's like I'm setting up my work. That was that was my quote unquote commute, I guess you could say, is setting up my workstation. Um, and then I put it away at night. So I kind of was getting more of a separation rather than, you know, having to stare at my 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 monitor on my dining table every single night. <laughs> um, I think that's like the biggest thing is just finding a way to separate your home from work. Um, we don't get that today. And I think that was the hardest thing for me to cope with was constantly just being in my New York City apartment, <laughs> very tiny New York City apartment, um, and not feeling like I was getting separation from, you know, work and home. You, so did you move back to Colorado because it was less expensive or just you always wanted to go back to Colorado and this was your best opportunity to or... Oh, so I'm here just for the holidays. I've wow. been here since November and I'm leaving January 17th, I believe. Um, so it's going to be, it was kind of just like more of like a break of being here and then going back to New York City um, and just spending time with family. I haven't seen them since last Christmas. So it was just a time to go home. <laughs> right. 
ready to go back to New York or are you like, oh no, back to isolation? Um, I really love New York and he, I don't have like a car here and we we live in like the suburbs. So if you're familiar with like Colorado Springs, it's, it's very spread out. Um, so I feel more isolated here <laughs> a little bit than I do in New York City because I can, you know, easily walk to um I don't know, like a coffee shop or I can walk to get my groceries and just get outside easily during the day and like go to a park. Um, but here it's not too easy. More, more, more importantly, are you ready to go back to Costa Rica for surfing? I really want to go back. I was actually looking, it's really funny. I just bought a flight to Cancun, but I was looking at Costa Rica and I was like, how do I find where we stayed? <laughs> we have all that information. Serena. That's it. Yeah, we could get, we could get it. What, yeah, you know, we always like, what did you, what were your expectations going into surfing sales in terms of what you thought it was going to be? And, and what, what did you get out of it that you were like, I had no idea this was going to come out of it? Um, so I don't know what I, my expectations was like, okay, so I know I'm going to surf and I know there's sale talking about sales that's going to be involved, but I was like, how are we going to, you know, like put the two and two together like that was like the thing I was I was like okay how do like how is this going to work you know do we do exercises while like surfboards and talk about sales processes um so I was just I I I had a really um I had a really open mind when I went just because I didn't want to have expectations and I'm glad that I didn't because that allowed me to get a lot out of it. And I learned how to surf. That was really cool. Really loved that. Um, but I also learned, again, the listening portion of it was, I think, really key. And, you know, we heard a lot of different people's stories. And then also, I think my favorite activity that we did was where everyone had like a real life scenario and we were able to like brainstorm as a team, like as like a little operations team on what we recommended. So I think that was really something that I kind of missed kind of <laughs> from college, just like having like group projects um, because usually as an account executive, you're, I'm just sitting there, you know, doing my own emails. I'm doing my own day-to-day -day work. So that brainstorming and that togetherness is, is something that I really enjoyed. It's always the most popular thing. <laughs> Whenever we say, what was your favorite thing? And it's, it's because a lot of times SDRs and AEs who attend don't get to do that, right? Like managers and directors get to have those sort of, conversations and hopefully they learn to bring in SDRs and AEs into those. Yeah. But well, then the, but then, the, then, the folks, then the folks who are presenting the problems though, Richard, love it because it's like actual yeah, tac tactical things they can go implement, you know, right away and, and get some got, results from. They just got free McKinsey advice and they got to go surf for a week. Mm -hmm. right? That's right. So, that's right. So, um, well, that that's really cool. What let's, let's, I want to shift to a little bit of leadership and then um, and then I think we do need to wrap it up. But do you do you aspire to be a sales leader? Do you want to go director VP? Um, I really could see myself in those positions. Um, I think manager would be the next step for me in a career. Uh, I really do love assisting, you know, new team members. So like now that we're onboarding new to new AEs, I love helping them in any way that I can. Um, and just really empowering the team to do better. Uh, I think that that's also something that's really unique about Air Call is that we all do that together. 
but it's hard to say. I have kind of bounced around in terms of like, do I get out of sales? Do I want to become a sales leader? So I've, I could see it, but I don't know that my heart's set on it just yet. Wait, did you just say that you're considering <laughs> leaving sales? Did, did, did I hear that right? Um, just, just a little. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, I think it's just, I, I honestly, like, I think that being on a little bit more of a technical side of things would be really interesting to, to play around with. Um, oh. I've worked okay, with, maybe, a, go ahead. Maybe you should, maybe you should look into, uh, you know, getting into pre-sales and like sales engineering and things like that. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about a little bit. Um, we have um, solutions engineers here that I think that their work is really interesting or even working with like our API would be really interesting. So we'll see. We will see. Miranda, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been fun to catch up with you and just sort of hear what's going on. Um, obviously, we want to give a quick shout out to um, I was about to say AirCall, but yeah, we should always think AirCall. They have sponsored us before. Uh, to Lead411, Vidyard, and Gong.io, um, if you're still looking for things to enhance your 2021 revenue, um, then by all means, you need those, you need those types of platforms. Um, but you know, our last question, Miranda, is how can we help you? What advice would you like to ask from us um, since, since you have our ear? Um, I mean, I think I would love to tie it back to career. Um, I mean, for, for you guys, where do you see someone going next after account executive? You know, what, what directions are possible after being an AE? Scott, you want to go first? Well, in every direction is possible. I think that's the most important thing that you should, you should realize that nothing is, is shut off to you. You can start your own business if you wanted to. You can stay individual contributor, um, whether that's a, you know AE three, four, five hundred, or moving onward and upward into you know larger kind of sales arenas and enterprise sales environments. And you want to close bigger and bigger deals. Um, you can move into sales leadership and go the sales manager route or the SDR leadership kind of route and progress through there to VP of sales and build a sales organization from scratch and kind of put your, you know, name and brand on that, on that company. Um, you, you, you already talked about, you know, solutions engineer, maybe moving into like pre-sales. There's a great organization called pre-sales collective that folks can check out who are interested in, uh, in sales engineering. You can get into marketing and demand gen. You could get into customer success and, and retention and upselling. I mean, you can go wherever you want. You, you now have the, the, the sales acumen um, that is requisite, in my opinion, for whatever you want to do with the rest of your life and, and the rest of your, your career. Um, so I wouldn't shut yourself off to, to anything. I think all of these things are, are possible. I do think it is important to do a little exercise and, and, and really know yourself and figure out what it is you love to do, where you're going to be the most happy, and where you're going to be set up for for some success. I agree with that. I would even go. Alex, I don't know if Scott said enablement, um, but I think that's an interesting area. No, I left that one off. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But I would even go bigger. 
I would say, particularly at a company like Aircall, like if you've ever been interested in marketing, right? And you want to go learn about demand gen, right? And you have the customer knowledge. Now's a good time to say, I want a role like that. If you're, you want to go into HR for whatever reason, because you want to be the sales recruiter HR person there, because you've just been curious about that. So I think that you, particularly when you've been in a company like Aircall, um, you, I wouldn't say you can dictate where you go, but I can't imagine they'd want to let you go and just lose the two to three years of institutional knowledge because you want to shift for a year or two. And then the beautiful thing, like this is the best part about sales is that you can go try something. You can always come back. Right. I know, I know plenty of people. Um, and I'm not saying this is you, but I, I know oftentimes, uh, particularly for women, once they start to get married and have kids, they kind of have to decide what, what to do with their career and, and, through several conversations, one of the easiest things they've ever said is, well, I can always go back to sales. Like I, I've been successful. I've got a track record. So um, to some extent, you can do anything. Um, you know, you can go, you know, learn to be an equestrian as far as I'm concerned and, you know, come back in two years and go, all right, I tried that. I did my dream, right? Um, so that, that would be my thought. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the reason the career question is coming up is, I feel like I'm getting so mundane in quarantine. <laughs> I was like talking to my mom the other day. I was like, what if I just quit air call and just became like a yoga instructor for like a year or two? <laughs> um, but I, I mean, well, I it's think a, it's, it's 2020 and, and soon to be 2021. This is, this is the, this is the year or years where your side hustles come, come to the forefront and some people's side hustles become their main hustle. So you know, maybe that's a way to, yeah, to explore some of your passions and apply some of your, you know, your sales, sales knowledge and, and success. Yeah, I would tell you, I have, I don't even think Scott knows this. So I've been working with a virtual trainer for the last three or four months, three days a week. And it's, you know, this is the time to try it, right? You only need one or two clients to see if you like it, figure yeah. it out, figure out a process, you know, and you don't have to quit your job. Right. But then you can still pursue a passion. And I will tell you that if you go and do that, guess what? You're going to keep selling. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to find customers. You're going to have to get unique. You're going to have to sell them on the program, why it can still work virtually, whatever it is. Decide if you want to do, you know, one on ones or do you want to do a, a class where people commit? You know, like there's a, there's a whole business model there that doesn't take you away entirely from your love for sales, mm -hmm. but it allows you to apply it to something you're you know, equally or more passionate about in terms of the product or service. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, who knows? Next time we catch up in Costa Rica, maybe I'll be a yoga instructor looking for advice on opening my next yoga studio. <laughs> there you go. Always wanted, we've tried to find someone who does yoga to come so they could run a couple of sessions of yoga, like at the sunset on the beach or just, you know, just to offer that to people, right? So um, hopefully you'll be able to come again and We'll even let that happen. So <laughs> I would love to do that. So awesome, Miranda. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun catching up with you. Thank yeah, you guys so much. So much. It Have was so great. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye.